0: Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at
1: cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all gathered together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison.
0: Thank you. Well, good evening. Welcome to church. My name's Jason, and welcome to City Reach Oakton, particularly if this is your first time tonight or if you've been coming for only a short time with us in our community. And, um, the passage just read out sets the scene for what will be uh, our focus tonight, which will be Christian persecution. A significant topic to talk about because it is a guaranteed mark of a genuine follower of Jesus. Now what is persecution? Uh, if that's a bit of a foreign word for you, uh, persecution, uh, well the word persecute comes from a Greek word that uh, means to pursue and has this negative uh, connotation of someone that comes after you. Persecution looks different for everyone. Uh, In the West, uh, where we are, it doesn't uh, seem as severe as some nations. But it's still oppressive to the Christian faith and still severe in subtle ways. It might be, for example, family that avoid you. It might be that they've shut you out of the family and no longer include you and actually really disrespect you because of your values. It might be a passive-aggressive boss that uh, is mean behind your back and doesn't give you opportunities and uh, slanders you behind your back to other colleagues. It might be people in school or university who uh, abuse you to your face because of the view that you hold on same-sex marriage, for instance. It might be physical, it might be verbal, emotional abuse. It could be cyberbullying. It could be many of these things. But it's also something that we shouldn't fear or run away from. In fact, the Bible says in Philippians 1.29, For you have been given not only the privilege the trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Suffering for Jesus is a privilege and an honor. What an unusual thing to be able to say. But for me, that is true. You know, we've sung about it tonight. He's made me as white as snow. He's taken me from death to life. And so it's this tremendous privilege to be able to partner in the suffering of Christ. As I've studied uh, for tonight, I've studied God's Word, and, and He's challenged me. He's challenged me on the, the way that I view persecution. Uh, he's convicted me of how much I share my faith with other people, and also how much I depend on prayer. And I think we're going to come away challenged, too. I think we're all going to be challenged in our faith, and, and maybe for some we're going to be left challenged with whether or not we have faith in us at all. But... I really believe that we're going to be encouraged too. And that's been my prayer. And I want to pray for us now if I can. God, we thank you for your word and the fact that there are things in it for us to learn today. Holy Spirit, help us to have open ears and willing hearts to be corrected where correction's needed, uh, to receive encouragement where that's needed, and restoration where we need to be restored and made right with you. We thank you for your presence with us, made possible only through Jesus. Amen. Now, those that know me well know that I love to fish. I love it, and in fact, a bunch of us, a uh, bunch of guys, we head off to uh, about eleven hours away, past Sedona, uh, to try catch us big fish, and we love it. But one of the things you're going to know about this area out out there around New Year's is that it gets hot. In fact, one time uh, it got to about fifty degrees Celsius. And it was a scorcher. And one of the guys that came along for the very first time, he was very underprepared. He, he thought uh, just an esky and a bag of ice would be all that he needs for the whole week. But I, I can assure you that was a big mistake because out there you cannot find ice or supplies to replenish your, uh, your ice bucket, whatever it is, you can't find it. And so our mate was in a very sticky or wet situation. Uh, you've got to be prepared in places like this. The rest of us had fridges, freezers, solar panels, all the essentials to be prepared for this kind of trip. Yet he was frustrated, even though he had every opportunity to know in advance what to expect. Weather zone, ask a friend, do research. Followers of Jesus, on the other hand, should not be surprised by the conditions or persecution that come their way as a result of following him. Rather, they should be prepared for it. And doing so by firstly accepting persecution. We prepare for persecution by accepting persecution. And why do we do that? Well, Jesus promised it to us. I want to read to you from Luke chapter 21, uh, verse 10 to 18. These are the words of Jesus. He's talking to his disciples. You will gain your lives. Now, with the start of the Christian church in the book of Acts, that is exactly what we start to see happening. Persecution in the name of Jesus, and it only gets worse. Jesus promised it, and the apostles experienced it. Now, let's turn back to uh, the passage that Lachlan read out in Acts chapter. From verse 12, uh, he read about how the apostles were doing signs and wonders in Solomon's portico. Many, many people were being added to the Lord, and many healings were being done and performed. But now they had been persecuted and thrown into prison, just like Jesus had told them. And so let's just unpack a little bit of the, uh, the context. Uh, Solomon's portico, or his porch, It seemed to have been a common meeting place for the apostles. It's where Peter addressed a crowd in chapter 3 after he preached the first sermon. Uh, he, He addressed the crowd after he healed the lame beggar at the beautiful gate. And it was in the temple in Jerusalem. And here's a diagram for you just to sort of visualize it, where the apostles were likely preaching Jesus as Lord and Savior to the crowds. It's not only a place with lots of room, but very close to the temple worship, which is going to be significant for us to know that. The apostles were doing amazing signs and wonders and drawing a lot of attention to themselves and the message that they preached. And that was a problem for the religious leaders of the temple. As we've heard it read, a high priest stood up and the Sadducees with him and filled with jealousy, they were arrested. And the apostles uh, were put in prison. Who are these people, the high priests and the Sadducees? You know, we hear they pop up here and there through the Gospels. Jesus comes face to face with these guys and as he taught. Well, these were the leaders uh, of the temple operations, now, the political type figures of the Jews, the ones who kept the relationship with Rome going and who actually were resented by the people of Israel. And why were they resented? Well, it was for their corruption. And, and in Luke 21, in the Gospel of Luke, it says, uh, it mentions about how Jesus cleansed the temple and how he formed this whip and drove them out because they had uh, turned it into this money-making scheme. It was a place of corruption and exploitation. Materialistic monetary gain was the objective. And, and that was the religious people's doing, the religious leaders' doing. These guys cared about money their relationship with Rome and not so much about the people and and certainly not authentic worship of the living God. The attention of the people was not on the leaders, but now on these common, uneducated men, enraging the leaders to the point of jealousy. They weren't motivated by love or protection of their teaching, trying to protect it from what they thought was false teaching. They were simply jealous. So much so that they threw the apostles into prison as a quick fix. But to make things very interesting for our uh, the narrative, something remarkable happens. Verse 19: During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, "Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life." And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. We just need need to see the humor of God. Acts twenty three verse eight. If you read that, it says that the Sadducees, who uh, uh, who had put him in prison, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels, nor did they believe in the spiritual, the spirits. And yet, whilst the apostles had accepted their imprisonment because Jesus promised that, God used divine intervention to free these people, these apostles to keep the gospel moving. What a way to blow the minds of the religious leaders through supernatural means, something that they didn't even believe in. Now, it must be said at this point that we are not promised divine deliverance in suffering persecution. Don't read this and think, oh, when I get persecuted, God's going to miraculously come in and just pull me out of it. No, it's, it's not the norm. It wasn't the norm for them. In fact, uh, the, you know, God delivers them from this time, but they will go on to suffer much worse and die for the faith. We shouldn't get caught too much up on the deliverance, but simply see it as God's method to keep advancing the gospel early on. Supernatural deliverances of the apostles, you know, it happens a few more times in various ways, but it's not the norm, as I said, and it shouldn't be expected as the norm from us either. We should expect the attacks of those who oppose us and should expect all kinds of attempts to shut down the word of God and the the message that we proclaim and what we believe is true. It's a slightly comical image uh, when, the, when they're freed from the prison by the angel. Uh, the religious leaders are waiting for the apostles to be brought to them so they could trial them and likely to be facing the death penalty, but they're not anywhere to be seen. It leaves them very baffled, but in verse 25 it says, Look, someone yells out, look, these guys that you arrested, they're back in the temple and they're teaching the people. And the captain went and grabbed them very cautiously. You see, in verse 13, we read that the apostles were held in high esteem. And so they were very careful with how they approached this bizarre behavior. They were doing good things. They were healing people. And so they were careful. Verse 27, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name. Back in chapter 4, verse 18. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Are they serious? Now, they're accusing them of false teaching. That, that's a given because it's different teaching. But claiming to have had nothing to do with the death of the one whose name they preach in, that's actually ridiculous. Luke chapter 23, verse 13, I wanted to put that on the screen for you. And just to summarize, you know, Pilate saw no evil in Jesus. He, he said to them, I find no evil in this man. I'll, I'll punish him, but I'll release him because he's innocent. In fact, Herod says the same thing. But the people of Israel were adamant that no, we want to crucify him. Crucify him. And Pilate was trying to be insistent and said no. For a third time he said, no, there's no evil in this man. They wanted Barabbas, a murderer, not Jesus. And Pilate decided that their demand should be granted, and so he released the murderer and delivered Jesus over to their will. Pilate wanted to release Jesus, but they got Barabbas. Jesus' blood was absolutely on their hands, and how dare they try to deny that and try to turn the tables and and point the finger at the apostles being the ones who were evil. The apostles suffered not only imprisonment, but now had experienced false accusations. Something I'm sure we face today in our context, being accused of something that's not true. So what do we make of all this? The apostles are the first of Jesus' followers. He's prepared them for persecution. The apostles have experienced persecution. What do we do as followers today? Well, we too embrace it. We embrace the persecution. Because when you embrace it, you will see good in persecution. For the apostles, in the providence of God, he chose to act by delivering them from prison. And we know we're not promised the same, but us today can be encouraged by the fact that God is in control. God's in control and foresees all things in his providence. Every Christian's experience of persecution will look different, but God is in control. We've got to remember that. Persecution is also the fruit of faithfulness to preaching Jesus as Lord and Savior. Faithfulness to the word of God and the, the spreading of the gospel should produce persecution. And so when it does, we actually delight in the suffering. For the apostles, even in the midst of persecution, being attacked for the message and accused that it was false teaching, it is there where God's power abounded. Yes, the first step in preparing for the persecution is by accepting that the persecution will come, but you're able to do such a thing because of the power of the Holy Spirit that you have access to to help you endure persecution. Now, remember a few years ago, we had this statewide blackout? I don't know what you were doing on that day, but Lauren and I were reminiscing about that, and it was a terrible day. It was pouring with rain. Lauren was working in the city, and, and she couldn't get out because everyone in the city was trying to get out on buses, and, and she walked halfway across town and was soaked to the core, some squishy wet socks and shoes. To make things matters worse, we, we don't even have any other, other means of power at home, and so... Um, we were a bit stranded at home. And um, so we couldn't cook, we we couldn't shower, we couldn't even get Lauren's car out of the carport. And so we headed to to my parents' place where where they had gas cooking and they had wood heating. It was beautiful. We were so dependent on the power that was no longer available to us. And I remember messaging friends who lived nearby just really desperate to know when the power was going to come back on. With great anticipation. And when it came back on it changed life back to normal. But did you know that for the Christian, we have not been left we're not left waiting for the power to come back on. We're not left in the dark. We have access to a power that is always available, the power of the Holy Spirit in us right now. Jesus promised it with his famous words we, we might be familiar with, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in El Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The apostles now had this power when the Holy Spirit came upon them at Pentecost and now they were being persecuted for their faith, which Jesus said back in Luke 21... It is where they would have an opportunity to bear witness. And it's happening right now, filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter pushes back and gives a defense to the ridiculous denial of killing Jesus. Verse 29 in our passage, it says, We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. What's Peter doing here? He is doing the very thing that got him there in the first place. He's preaching the gospel. Uh, we should take note today. Peter is teaching us a lesson. You know, in the midst of persecution, for sharing our faith in Jesus. We don't shy away. We don't cease to preach the gospel. Peter, it's the only way to push through the persecution, to preach no matter the cost. There's a few principles that we get out of uh, Peter's, uh, Peter's uh, defense. Uh, what The first thing is he looks for every opportunity to bear witness to the Lord Jesus. You know, while being ridiculed at school or at university, you you can make a defense for your faith through the way you gently engage with those who oppose you. Instead of trying to be right and proving yourself, just preach the gospel gently. Preach it to them in the way that you converse with them. In Philippians 4, verse 5, let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. The other thing he, he teaches us is we've got to respect the government but we have to obey God. This is very significant for us today. Yes, Romans 13, 1 Peter 2 verse 13, it says we've got to respect and honor those in leadership. And we should, yeah, we should respect them. But if what they stand for is contrary to God, to God and God's word, then God must be obeyed no matter the cost, you know, freedom of speech, religious freedom, views on abortion, same-sex marriage disputes, these are hot topics right now. We should familiar, be familiar with those in leadership over our nation and know what they stand for, that we shouldn't assume that they stand for the word of God. But those who obey God's, uh, obey God receive the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the other thing that we learn from Peter's defense that so we receive power. And this is key to us who are not the apostles, who don't have the same signs and outworkings as the apostles, but, but have the same power of the Holy Spirit that they had. When you confessed Jesus as Lord, as you turned your back on the world and you surrendered to him in repentance and, and accepted the forgiveness freely given to you, that you received the gift of the Holy Spirit. What a gift it was. And you now have access to that power. We have the power already as believers, and in times of persecution, it's more evidently powerful. Now, upon hearing this defense made by Peter, the council were enraged. Other translations say that they were cut to the heart. And the Greek uh, can translate it to sore in half. And now this is not to be uh, confused with the, the repentant people. In uh, chapter 2, verse 37, Peter preached the very first sermon and people were cut to the heart, but they were just so distraught over their sin or what they had done. It was like a, a sudden jab to the heart. Conviction of sin. But This, on the other hand, was this agonizing distress fueled by anger, not Repentance. They were not only jealous men, but now so infuriated with the preaching and teaching of the gospels uh, with the apostles that they were sawn in half in disgust. What an extreme image. The intent was to kill, but then they have this very interesting narrative. And so we, we pick up in verse 34, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Now, who's this guy? You know, well, it says he's a teacher of the law, held in high honor uh, by all the people. Now, remember how the Sadducees, they they were these religious political leaders who were resented by the people? Well, the Pharisees, well, they they were kind of respected by the the Jews, and the Pharisees prided themselves on being holy and being experts of the law in practice and, and in knowledge, the Pharisees and Sadducees uh, didn't really get along, but had this kind of mutual tolerance of each other, which was a little bit uh, out of balance because, you see, the Pharisees, the Sadducees knew they needed the Pharisees on their side because they had power among the people. The Pharisees had power among the people. The Sadducees had power and influence with Rome, with, with the city, but the Pharisees had the influence with the people. If you lose the people, you lose all the power, and they knew that. Gamaliel was one of these Pharisees, but not like any other. He was so highly esteemed that the Mishnah, uh, the ancient scriptures of the temple, declares, since Rabban Gamaliel, the elder died, there has been no more reverence for the law, and purity and abstinence died out at the same time. He a very special man with a special title, Rabban meaning a master teacher. And it was only given to this man. Acts 22 uh, verse 3 says that one of his students was none other than Saul of Tarsus, who we know as the Apostle Paul. So this guy was a big deal. And in the midst of a Sadducean council and court hearing, he, a Pharisee, stands up for Christians. Gamaliel mentions two movements that occurred in the past that failed in some way or another. And around that time, there was many people that tried to rise up and be someone great, and people would follow them, and they failed. And he says, regarding the apostles, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Keep away from these apostles. Let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it'll fail. But if it's of God you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Kamaliel basically says, let's sit back and watch. Let's just see what happens. If it's not of God, it will fail. And if it's of God, it won't be able to be stopped and you might be opposing God. Now, it sounds pretty wise, doesn't it? It sounds like, it sounds like wisdom. Well, it's not. This is the, the most honored teacher of the law. Perhaps the most experienced, and most learned person, but he's saying, sit back and watch. Let's just see what happens. And here's two, two reasons why, well, here's two problems. A teacher of the law should have been able to hear the claims and the, the witness of the apostles and compared them to the scriptures. The prophecy of the Messiah being fulfilled in Jesus uh, and the events now occurring through the coming of the Holy Spirit they should have lined up to someone that was so experienced with the scriptures. You know, Paul in uh, chapter 22 of Acts, he speaks about how before he was converted, he was so enraged by the Christians' teachings that he would go after them and drag them to prison and even delight in persecution. Paul wasn't passive like Gamaliel was. So this was really odd that a Pharisee would sit back and just watch the show. The other reason why there's a problem with it is because he implies that everything that succeeds is of God. Really? Islam? Jehovah's Witnesses? Mormonism? Roman Catholicism? Hinduism? Atheism? Are they of God? They're pretty successful. That is a flawed statement, and whilst his announcement seems wise and defensive for the apostles, it's, it's poor instruction everything that succeeds is not necessary necessarily of god so it's peculiar that gamaliel would stand up and give such a poor speech from such a highly esteemed pharisee such as he but we need to again bear in mind the providence of god god's foreknowledge he used it as the means by which the gospel continued to flourish And God can use even humanity's lack of wisdom for his purposes. Praise the Lord. Jesus promised power. The apostles surely experienced it in the words of Peter and Gamaliel's foolishness. And you know what? We should expect the power of God in our circumstances too. We have the same power in us that the apostles had to defend the faith, And God's power is seen in his providence in our circumstances. He is somehow using your oppressive boss in his plan. The mistreatment that you're getting from your neighbor perhaps because you shared uh, your values and your beliefs. Remember, it's all in the control and foreknowledge of God. That gives me some reassurance. I hope it does for you too. But it's one thing to access and expect God's power in our circumstances. It's something else to go through persecution and rejoice in suffering. You know, through God's providence, the apostles were released, beaten, nearly to a pulp, nearly to death, and, but left rejoicing in what had happened. What enabled them to experience this deep joy? The answer is found in Jesus His his example with his disciples and in the book of Acts up until this point. The apostles could accept persecution, they could access the power because they were devoted to prayer. You prepare for persecution by always praying. In Luke 11, the Gospel of Luke in chapter 11, Jesus' disciples wanted to know how to pray so he taught them. And later he would, he would bring his disciples to intimate moments uh, with, with God the Father, the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus modeled it. And once Jesus had uh, died and risen again and ascended to the right hand of God, proving he was God, his closest followers devoted themselves to prayer too. Uh, just to give you a quick su- uh, survey, Acts chapter 1. Verse 14, all the apostles with one accord, they devoted themselves to prayer together. Chapter 2, verse 42, the new converts devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching uh, and uh, to fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. Chapter 3, verse 1, Peter and John were now going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Chapter 4, verse 29, and this is very significant. And now, Lord, look upon their threats, And grant to your servants, the apostles, to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The reason the apostles could rejoice in their suffering was because their prayers were being answered. To have boldness in the face of persecution so they could embrace it and they could endure it. I truly believe that there is a direct link with the effectiveness of their witness and their prayers for boldness. Prayer is the key. And us today, we must model the same devotion to prayer. Like the early church, we should be devoted to prayer. We should be encouraging new believers to to make that a priority. We should be making it a, a normal part of our life. We should make prayer to be our reflex to opposition to the gospel. If I could just summarize in a concise sentence, the Christians shouldn't be surprised by persecution. They should prepare for it by accepting that it will come, embracing it, accessing the power within them, and expecting it in their circumstances, always praying for boldness to face it. That's on the next slide, just if you want to write that down. Is it really a privilege for us to suffer for Christ? As I said at the start, God has challenged me through his word, and perhaps you've been challenged too. The challenge for me, have I been unwilling to take risks for the sake of the gospel? Am I lacking belief in God's power to help me share the gospel? Am I neglecting the essential prayers for boldness and effectiveness? Have I forgotten the gift of salvation? The very thing that should spur me on to to share the gospel with those destined to an eternity separated from God in hell. My prayer has been that, as I've tried to explain God's word to us tonight, that you might have been examining your own heart. And that like me, the Holy Spirit uh, might have revealed something in your life that needs to be made right through repentance, forgiveness, a brokenness over sin, The thing I love about the early church in the book of Acts is the way they rallied together and devoted themselves to prayer. And we want to have an opportunity to devote ourselves to prayer tonight. I want our response to be in prayer. Prayers of correction, prayers of confession, prayers for courage, prayers of forgiveness, but especially a time of prayer for boldness to share our faith no matter the cost. And I'd love to to lead us and guide us in prayer. You might something might have struck a chord with you. You might have felt convicted over something, one of these one of these things that are on the screen. Well, let me let me guide us in prayer now, and so please pray with me. God, we have all responded differently. Some of us are struggling to take risks in sharing their faith please fill them with boldness to do so strengthen them in the the strength of your might to boldly profess Jesus as Lord and Saviour the only one in whom we find forgiveness of sin and life everlasting some of us are struggling to believe that you will help us share our faith and we confess that as sin and and as as dishonouring you Please forgive us to have thought that you couldn't work in power through us. Many of us find it really difficult to prioritize prayer. And in some ways, that says that we don't believe in the power of prayer. Please forgive us for not making this time of fellowship with you and others a priority. Please help us to devote ourselves to prayer. God, forgive us if we have forgotten the precious gift of trusting in Jesus, the one who died for the sins of humanity, who was raised to life, proving he was fully God, who is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. We recognize that that it is only through Jesus that we have forgiveness of sins, through belief and through repentance of our sin. It's because of him that we can look forward to a future eternity Spent with you, the living God. We thank you for saving us and calling us into your family. We give thanks, that we don't need to be surprised at the trials that come our way, but that we can be prepared for persecution. Help us now be the church to one another as we continue to bless one another in the time we have left tonight. Amen. Now, during this song that we hope will help us respond to god's word we myself and some others uh we're going to be gathering over here we we're going to respond with our voices and sing but we want to respond by devoting ourselves to prayer for boldness and you know if if you feel like the lord has put a burden on you on you to to pray or be prayed prayed for to pray with other people then i want to invite you to, to to join me and i would love to to be prayed for but I'd love to pray for others, to pray for, for courage, for boldness this week. Let's be a community that, that will devote ourselves to prayer. And maybe, maybe you wouldn't identify as a Christian tonight and, and just want you to know that we, we love you and we, it's such a, we're just really happy to have had you here with us tonight. We'd love to pray with you if we could. We'd love to talk to you about the difference that Jesus has made in our life. And so the invitation is there to come. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk to you about Jesus, how we can have this joy in suffering.